Hi, everyone. Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us, and he has a word for you today. We are sure of it. Take some time out to listen, and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. Family, what's going on? I hope everybody's having a fantastic day, fantastic week. If you don't mind, let's come together and pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here. I thank you that we never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. My prayer is that you give me the inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use. They will be able to use it and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now. They will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. That is my prayer. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray all of these things. Amen. And no matter where you are, if you can, lift your Bibles up with me. It doesn't matter the form that they take. And say these words. It's our confession. Say, this is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed. And I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus name. Amen. Family, this is the final installment as far as I am concerned for me. It is the final installment of the contend series. Our scripture reference, the one that you should be very familiar with, the one that we have recited over and over for weeks now is in Jude chapter one, verse three. It reads this way in the King James. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The easy to read version says this, Dear friends, I wanted very much to write to you about the salvation we all share together, but I felt the need to write to you about something else. I want to encourage you to fight hard for the faith that God gave his holy people. God gave this faith once and it is good for all time. For this final session, I'm going to do something that is seemingly simple, but quite necessary. Frankly, there is a multifold problem in the body of Christ, and I intend to direct all of our attention to what that problem is. In doing so, I am going to bring us to a deeper understanding of the phrase contend for the faith. Or if we're looking at the easy to read version, as you know, it says fight hard for the faith. 
So I'm looking to bring us to a deeper understanding of that phrase, fight hard for the faith. The deeper understanding requires you to have a specific biblical view, though. And that view was something that we have been priming and working on for weeks. I am going to be up front with you. What I'm looking to do is target your mindset. I'm looking to target your frame of mind, how you think. We're going to take that targeting and we're going to center it around a specific thought. And that specific thought is embodied in a Smithism. It reads this way. Notice the image. Completing a certain effort requires a person to put forth a certain effort. That statement has the word effort in it twice. But notice that the word effort in each place really means something different. We're all familiar with familiar with how words can be the same word, but in a different context have a different meaning. Well, this is the same thing. When we say completing a certain effort, that first effort there is relative to notice those other words, job, feet, endeavor, or work. So completing a certain job or completing a certain feat or completing a certain endeavor or completing a certain work requires a person to put forth a certain effort. Ah, look at these other words. Exertion, push, persistence, drive. So completing a certain effort or work requires a person to put forth a certain effort or energy or push. Contending for the faith, fighting hard for the gospel, doing battle for the kingdom, whatever you want to call it, however you want to couch it, requires effort. The theme of effort is an elementary foundational aspect of something that always underlies any message that we teach here. When you think about it. From an effort perspective. I want you to reflect back on all of the messages in this series thus far. Specifically, all of the ones that I have conveyed to you. I begin this series by saying in the beginning, God. In other words, the plans in your life are better if you factor in God in the beginning. But guess what? God is not going to force himself. He's not going to bully himself into being a top priority in your planning. If you want God to be in your plan, if you want to factor God in your plan, then you, loved ones, have to put a certain effort into making that effort a reality. You have to put in the work to make God first in your planning. We also shared this. Everybody that calls themselves a contender, each one of those individuals, if you put them all in group, they're not the same. There are contenders who expect to win 
and there are also contenders who expect to lose. We all said that we wanted to be those group of contenders who expect to win. But guess what? You just don't become a winner because you want to be. No one becomes top in their field just because they want to. It could be real estate. It could be business. It could be sports. It could be education. Hey, it could be parenting. Nobody just becomes top dog. No one just becomes a winner because they want to. If you want to be a winner, if you want to be a contender that wins, then you have to put forth a certain effort to complete that effort. Yes, it takes effort. We also said that in times of trouble, it is human nature to look for a way out. And God can open a door in your trouble. And that door is something that you could potentially use as a way of escape. But escaping through that door is not necessarily the best kingdom action to take. At times, the best kingdom action to take is for you to stay put in your trouble and watch God say fulfill his purpose in the midst of your trouble. But keeping yourself in place, keeping yourself put, that is something that you have to put effort into. If you're going to be the person that stays put in the midst of your trouble to see God's will be done out of your trouble, you got to put forth a certain effort to see that effort come to pass. And God is not the only one that can open a door. We made it crystal clear that the devil can also open doors. His doors eh, always contain a bit of trickery, though. He is the father of lies. When he puts something in front of you, when he opens a door, that door across its threshold is going to be something that he dangles a nice carrot. Something that's well built, something that's good looking, something that's going to entice you. Nobody is stopping you from going in through that door but you. We told you you need to stay away from that door. We told you you have to run from that door. Don't just trot, run, run with purpose. But there are not going to be a gang of people tackling you to keep you from going through that door, from attacking or attaching yourself to that enticing thing that the enemy puts before you. God's not blocking you from that. If it is your objective to not follow after the devil's bidding, what you have to do is you have to put forth a certain effort into seeing that effort be done. Effort. It's a word that we shy away from, but it's one we should embrace. Putting forth effort. I have to tell you, is often a very hard pill for believers to swallow. In my opinion, it's a hard pill for believers to swallow because they are constantly being bombarded with certain phrases. Phrases like this one. Here's one of those phrases. 
Notice the image. It reads, it's about having faith in God. It's not about your works. I'm going to tell you, in the proper context, that statement is 100% accurate. You cannot work your way into being righteous. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our righteousness. Therefore, the only effort you need to put forth into being righteous is just accept Jesus. For he is our righteousness. You cannot work to pave your way to God. The Bible tells us Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. No one comes to God except through him. Therefore, the only effort you need to put forth to gain access to God is just accept Jesus. For he is our access. You cannot wake, work your way into salvation. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, that we'll be saved. Therefore, the only effort you need to put forth to receive salvation is just accept Jesus for he is our savior. All of that is spot on. When we think about that phrase, it's not about having faith in God. Excuse me. It's about having faith in God. It's not about your works. That's spot on. Jesus already cut the path back to God. And no one else needs to put forth any effort towards completing that assignment. Nobody. Besides, nobody but Jesus was qualified to do that assignment. Nobody before him, nobody when he walked this earth and nobody after him. Nobody was qualified but Jesus to fulfill that work. That work is forever done. That work is forever and always finished. Nothing else has to be done to it. Beyond that specific work though, we tend to take that phrase, it's not about your works too far. Specifically, here is how we take it too far. Notice the next image. How do we take that phrase too far? The image reads, just because we do not need to put forth work into getting in the kingdom, we somehow translate that into not having to work for anything once we get in it. Yeah. And we convince ourselves of this. Somehow we convince ourselves that even though we do not need to put in work, so to speak, to get in the kingdom, that once we get in, we do not have to put in work for anything. Quite honestly. I'm going to tell you. I believe my belief, 
I believe that much of that, much of that convincing, much of that thought process is the church's fault. I do. When you think about the church and the five, four ministries and the pastors and the teachers and the prophets and the evangelists and the apostles and all the people that would teach a message or give a message or convey scriptures to to believers or even non-believers, people that continue to teach. When you think about all of those people and the messages and how we can get to the point to where as believers, for whatever reason, we think that we do not have to put in any work into to, to get anything once we get into the kingdom. Think about teachings that teach things like God will always, always, I throw that in there. So when I say God will, think about a person thinking about when you say God will, hey, you're saying God will. Teaching that God will get you out of your trouble situation. Teaching that God will shower you with finances. Teaching that God will eliminate your debt. Teaching that God will make sure you have any career you want. Teaching that God will stop anything unpleasant from happening to you. Loved ones, teaching that the gospel is a path to a life where God blocks all your troubles and saturates you with good fortune here on earth, that type of teaching is a recipe for disaster. Yes, God can do those things, but that being a guarantee is not the gospel. Notice this image. It reads, God can does not equal God will. The word can and the word will. Those are called modal verbs. What they do is they modify the main verb. They modify it with the context of probability or likelihood or ability. It modifies it. So when we say God can, we're talking about his ability. When we say God will, we are inferring possibility. We are inferring likelihood. But loved ones, God can does not equal God will. That is a harsh reality. But as believers, it is a reality that we need to hear. Although there not, may not be any intended harm from that kind of teaching. And when I say that kind of teaching, I mean teachings that commit God to move in our situations in a particular way. There may not be any harm in that, not any intended harm. The end result, though, can be very disastrous. It can be very disastrous in a person's heart and a person's mind when God doesn't come through on the gospel guarantee that the preacher, not God, promised. 
Tragically, when people are bombarded with that kind of input, that is not contending for the faith. Quite the opposite. That is working against the faith. And it's working against the faith in at least two ways. Notice the next image. When we're talking about teaching what God did not promise, here are two negative and unintended results. Number one, it results in people being displeased with and shying away from God. Hey, you said that God said he will. I'm noticing that he didn't. The second one. It results in people not becoming contenders because people will not fight hard for the faith if they do not believe there is any value in doing so. I did my part. You implied or you conveyed or you said outright that if I did my part, God would do his part. Sort of, if I scratch God's back, God will scratch mine. I've been doing, I've been doing, I've been doing, I've been scratching God's back, but it doesn't seem to be reciprocating. Eh, I'm not going to put much effort into this. Unintended consequences, but consequences nonetheless. God can does not equal God will. People that fall into any of these two scenarios that we talked about, either being displeased with or shying away from God or people that are thinking that, you know what, I'm not going to fight hard for this faith because it doesn't seem to be what you said it was. People in any of those two scenarios they are individuals that, well, more than likely, they trust God conditionally. If, for whatever reason, you are in that category or grouping of people that trust God conditionally, and keep in mind, people that fall into one of these groupings, they might, they might not even trust God at all. But if for whatever reason, I don't care about the reason, I don't care about who taught you what and what you used to believe and how you came to be in this situation. If you fall into this grouping for whatever reason, for whatever reason. The time has come to reset your mind. If for some reason this has become part of your belief system. Let's reset. Notice the next image. Do not adhere to the faith based on what is going on in your life or the world around you. Instead, adhere to the faith regardless of what is going on in your life and the world around you. 
being a believer and contending for the faith is it's not about God freeing you from your troubles. It's not about God getting you out of bad times. That's not what this is about. If you would quickly think back with me on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he's in the garden and he's praying, he speaks these words in Matthew 26, easy to read version. We are going to be reading Matthew 26 between verses 38 through 44. We're not going to read each one, but that's where we are. When he begins to pray, his first prayer is this. My father, if it is possible, don't make me drink from this cup, but do what you want, not what I want. He goes back a second time and he prays this. My father, if I must do this and it is not possible for me to escape it, then I pray that what you want will be done. The Bible says he also goes back a third time and he prays the same thing. In other words, he prays very similar words. Jesus prayed to the father during one of his darkest, darkest moments, one of the toughest moments of his life. He's praying to God, and I want you to notice that in his prayer, Jesus is not ignoring his situation. Loved ones, God never asks you to ignore what you're going through. What God does ask, though, is he asks that you remain faithful through it. Jesus once told Peter this. Luke 22 verses 31 through 32 in the King James Version. It reads. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, the Lord being Jesus, Simon being Peter. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold. Satan has desired to have you. That he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus did not tell Peter that he is praying for his trouble to go away. Jesus did not tell Peter that he was praying for the devil to take it easy on them. Jesus did not tell Peter that he was praying for God to make them a way of escape. Jesus's prayer was that Peter remain faithful. When we reflect back to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus fell on the ground before God and confessed three times. Father, if there is any way for me to get out of this trouble, if there's any way for you to take this away from me, if there's any way for you to lighten this load, I want to hear about it. I'm all ears. Please tell me now he was ready and willing. God, if there is an open door of escape, please tell me. But he also was saying this, Father, 
If getting out of this, though, means that I have to step out of your will, I would rather be found faithful in my pain than be unfaithful and get out of it. Family, are you willing to take the same position? Are you willing to take the position of father, not my will, but let your will be done in my life and throughout my life? If I'm having heartaches, God, I want you to know that I am not trying to ignore what I'm going through, but not my will, but let your will be done. Through my tears, God, let your will be done. I know we often talk about that in reference to the bad times. And we should all understand why, because the bad times is where we could probably get a little shaky in our faith. Every solid believer knows, however, that it is not Father, let thy will be done just in the bad times. It's throughout all times. It's our standard mantra. Father, let thy will be done. That statement is a blanket statement. There are no bounds to it. Father, through my words, let your will be done. Through my actions, let your will be done. Through my business, through my parenting, through my my job. Let your will be done. Through my popularity and my fame and everything that has to do with me. Let your will be done. Wanting to see God's will be done is the position of a real contender in season and out of season. It doesn't matter. Whether times are good, whether times are bad, whether times are up, whether times are down. Father, let your will be done, not mine. Admittedly, the reason that we do focus on the bad times, I've already told you, because during times of trial and tribulation, that is when we feel that pressure to shift away from God. The scenarios of our lives that stack up to make that be the case are many. Consider this. It's easy to hold on to your faith when your children are acting right. But when they are doing things they're not supposed to do, when they're saying things that they're not supposed to say, when they're pushing the boundaries of your nerves, when your children are tripping, what do you do? What do you do when your, trip, your children are just way out of character, at least way out of bounds from what you expect? Do you keep the faith? Or do you ask God to step outside for a minute so you can handle your business? So you can put the paws on them. So you can smack them around. So you can give them a whooping. I'm not talking about some God approved spanking. 
I'm talking about a whooping. I'm talking about taking them out to the woodshed. I'm talking about putting them in the headlock. I'm talking about going WWF, WW high, high rope, elbow on them. Is that what you do? If you are a new parent, if you are a person who doesn't have children, if you are a person who even, especially if you have a, I call them a brand new baby. When you hear me talking about whooping and putting children in a headlock and jumping off the top rope and things like that, you might say to yourself, I can't even imagine. I can't fathom me ever wanting to put my hands on my child in an aggressive fashion. You're looking at them right now, how they how they look and they're all cute and cuddly, smelling like baby lotion and everything about them, little hands, little feet, soft skin, the way they cool when you put them over your shoulder. You're thinking to yourself, I can never even imagine the possibility of me being anywhere near aggressive, having any thought like that concerning this child. I am going to tell you from experience regarding that thought, you can be very wrong about that. I would be the first person to raise my hand if somebody asked whether or not we had good parents in the room. I consider my wife and I to be very good parents. As a matter of fact, I believe my children would even vouch for that. We have three children that God has blessed us to bring into this world biologically. They are all in their mid twenties and up. And they would probably tell you that they had good parents and still have good parents even to this day. When we brought them home, each and every time I would look at them, that cute baby face and the way they would smile and they didn't have any teeth and sucking on that bobo. And when I would hold them in the middle of the night and they would just sleep so warm and cuddly in my arms, I would think, oh, the joy. As they got older, though, and they start lipping off, sometimes in the middle of my mind, in that place where I never thought I would have this thought, I would say to myself, you know what? I think I'm perfectly justified to just punch him in the mouth. Just punch him in the face. Not that I did. But I thought about it. And I thought that, at least in my mind at the time, it would be perfectly justified to do so. When I think about things like my oldest son, I remember a time when he was a teenager and he started getting mouthly, mouthy. There was, there was a moment I just had to look at him and just walk away. I went and found my wife and I told him, I told her, I said, Greta, this boy of mine, he up in here, 
He eating my food. He's in my house. He's wearing my clothes. And he got the nerve to open his mouth and say what he said. I had to walk away because I was about to hurt him. I was about to beat him like a grown man. She would laugh. But let me tell you, she's not that far away from me. There are times that my wife has come and found me and she said, you better get your daughter. Now, I know once she puts the ownership of those children on me, when they're no longer our children, when they're just mine, I know there's a problem. She said, listen, did you hear what your daughter just said to me? Did you hear how your daughter just talked to me? I'd be like, no, I didn't hear. She's like, but you better get her. You better get her. She don't know me like that. She don't want to know me like that. I'll beat her like a grown woman. You better get her because she thinks she bad, but she ain't seen bad yet. You better get to your daughter before I do. As a new parent, you probably can't think or even fathom that, but they will challenge you. At some point in their lives, they will challenge you. And when they challenge you, when they're acting the way that you know that they know better, what do you do? Do you keep the faith or do you take some other type of action. It's easy to keep the faith when your husband is acting right. But when your husband is doing things that you never thought he would do, when he's way out of bounds, when he's way out of line, when he is on the edge of testing everything that you thought your vows meant, what do you do? Do you keep the faith? Or do you ask God to step outside for a minute? When your wife is acting right, it's easy to keep the faith. But when she is doing those things that puts, pushes the bounds of who in the world you thought you married. When she's doing those things and those words are coming out of her mouth and she's taking those actions and she's doing the things that push every single button that you had, even finding buttons that you didn't even know you had. When that is going on in your marriage. What do you do? Do you keep the faith? Or do you ask God to step outside so you can cuss her outright? Do you ask God to step outside so you can treat her the way you feel like she's treating you? What do you do? It is easy to keep the faith 
when everything is going right, when everything is okay, when times are cool, but when life turns up the heat, what do you do? Do you keep the faith? Do you stick with God? Or do you ask God to step aside? Do you step out of God's kitchen and step in Hell's Cafe? What do you do? It is easy to keep the faith, family, when times are pleasant. But when life gets in your face, what do you do? Do you stay with God? Or do you get in your flesh bag? Or do you have a flashback? Or do you go back to the old man? Do you go back to the old woman? Do you revert to the street? What do you do? The bottom line is this. Notice the next slide. Because right here is where many Christians are not. To be a contender, one must remain faithful to God, no matter the situation or circumstance. And one must cast down any conclusion that God is not there or does not care because events are not to their liking. Unfortunately, love, unfortunately, loved ones, many Christians are not here. And this statement, the one before you right now. Allows us to script. Part of the problem. Remember, I'm telling you that there is a multifold problem in the body of Christ. In this session, I aim to point out to each and every one of us what the problem is. As this next image states, part of the problem is many believers do not remain faithful to God in every situation or circumstance and conclude that God is not there or does not care because events are not to their liking. That is part of the problem. We're not done. We're not done, though. Remember, I say it's a multifold problem. Another part of the problem is we often lose focus of the practical reasons why we contend or fight hard for the faith. We lose focus of the motivation that fuels what we're doing. We lose focus of the motivation that fuels our desire to see the gospel message stand the test of time. We lose focus of the faces behind the fight. When we hear that phrase, contend for the faith or fight hard for the faith, our minds automatically go to the heavenly sphere. You know, our mind goes to that place where we're doing spiritual warfare and we're wrestling against spiritual wickedness in high places. And all of that, loved ones, is real. Some of us, many of us, 
may think right now we are we are contenders. We are we're fighting hard for the faith right now. At the drop of a hat, we are ready to defend the gospel right now. We feel that we are always ready to do our part to make sure the gospel stands the test of time. In effect, we are already many of us saying, I am ready at the drop of a hat to defend God's honor. And when most of us think about contending for the faith, whether we say it that way or not, that is more in line to what we're thinking. We're thinking that we're defending the gospel. We're being a champion for the faith. We are standing and we're defending what Jesus has put before us, what God has made available to us. We're defending the, the word. We're defending the truth. That is a good stance to have. I don't want anyone to think that I am implying or even stating that that is not a stance that we should have. Consider this, however. In your mind, just take some time to ponder this. How much more fight would you have in you for the gospel? If the face behind your fight was your baby girl. If the face behind the fight was your baby boy. If the face behind the fight was any person that you cared for dearly. Be it your parent, mom or dad, be it your sibling, brother or sister, be it any other relative, your cousin, be it your best friend, your husband, your wife. How much more fight would you have in you to contend for this faith, to fight hard for the gospel, if the face behind the fight was someone that meant the world to you. This brings us to another part of the problem. Notice this image. Another part of the problem is believers do not perceive that contending for the faith has real life right now, practical impact on the world and people around them, especially on the people they care about most. Notice the other slide. As the title of this slide states, believer, you are contending for more than you think. If the gospel is the source of insight, if you believe that, if the gospel is the source of wisdom, if you believe that, if the gospel is the source of guidance and you believe that, 
If the gospel is the source of insight, wisdom and guidance for all facets of your life, then when you contend for the faith, you are fighting for every aspect of your life. When you contend for the faith, you're fighting for your marriage, you're fighting for your family, you're fighting for your children, you're fighting for your grandchildren. You are indeed fighting for all of those things. If you think that the gospel is the anchor for the best life possible, for the best life here on earth, for the best life in eternity, if you really believe that when you are contending for the faith, you are contending for all of those things. You are contending for your finances. If you think God's way of running finances is the best, you're contending for peace of mind. You're contending for your community. You're contending for more than you think when you contend for the faith. You're contending for the next generation. You're contending for the nation. You're contending for the world. The list goes on and on and on. You're contending for more than you think if you believe in your heart that the gospel is the source of insight, the source of wisdom, the source of guidance. You are doing that. As believers, what this means is that it behooves all of us to put forth effort back to our word. Put forth effort in this world to fight for the gospel, not just fight for God's honor, not just fight for the word. But fight for every aspect of life including fighting for the people that we love. When I think about things that have happened in the world and believers, although they talk about it in church, although they complain about it, and remember, I'm a believer too. They didn't put forth the proper effort to see change. What do I mean? When someone put forth the idea that they should have no prayer in school, we should have put forth proper effort to see that idea changed, meaning cast down. That idea was an attack on the faith. And we didn't contend for it right. We talked about it. But there are so many people in this world who have causes. And when their cause comes under attack as they view it, oh, they get active. They get active. They call their commissioner. They call their senators. They change the law for their cause. But when we say Hey, why don't we take prayer out of school? If every single Christian, every single believer got on the phone, picked up a picket sign, called their 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 representative, sent letters to the White House, caused a ruckus. I would bet you right now. Oh, we probably have prayer in school. 
I don't care that it says in God we trust on the back of in the back of our money. We were not there when they made the decision and moved forward with taking prayer out of school. What about this one? Things about you can speak to the public and pray at a function, at an award ceremony, at, at, at some kind of event. But when you pray, you cannot mention the name Jesus. That is an attack on the faith. And contending for the faith is letting the world know that when I pray, it is it is not just thank God. I pray in Jesus name. Me mentioning Jesus comes along with prayer. You say we can pray to God. Well, my Bible tells me that the father and the son are one. Oh, we talk about that. They say they don't want you to mention Jesus. But do we really contend for it? That's an attack on the faith family. What about the movement to have life coaches instead of live by solid biblical principles? I'll be the first one to say that there are a lot of people that say a lot of good things. And there are people saying good things that are based on the Bible. But there is even a wider, broader push to just get information from people who sound like they have good ideas, but they are far, far away from the gospel. That is an attack on the faith. That is a degradation of the community away from God's best. And when we promote it, when we sit back and not do anything about it, loved ones, we are not contending for the faith. All of that being said, here is the multifold problem in a single sentence. Granted, it's a long sentence, but here it is. The problem is many believers either do not remain faithful to God in every situation or circumstance, conclude that God is not there or does not care because events are not to their liking, or do not comprehend how much contending for the faith really matters in both their lives and the world in which they live. It's right there before you on the screen. That is the multifold problem. I'm not saying that there are not other problems, but as far as this session is concerned, that is the multifold problem that God has asked me to share with you. That's a mouthful. And understanding that this is the problem in totality, as I want to explain it to you. 
I also have an image that states what the problem is in a short and sweet way. Here's this image, notice. In short, the problem is many believers do not believe enough to contend for the faith. Yeah. The problem is many believers do not believe enough to really fight hard for the faith. Another harsh reality, but you need to hear it. We can talk all we want to about we contend for the faith. But if you really believed, if I really, really believed that the gospel is everything the Bible says that it is, if we really believe that, no one could stop us from fighting for the faith. If we really believed, it would be impossible for anyone to get in our way as we fight for the gospel. If we really believed, but short and sweet, the problem is many believers do not believe enough to contend for the faith. After today's session, I want each and every one of us to say to ourselves that we will no longer let it be the case that any one of us have this problem. Family, we cannot afford this problem. We can't afford it because the gospel needs each and every one of us to stand up and be contenders. Jesus said that when we contend for the faith, we give the gospel a platform. He also made it clear that in giving the gospel a platform, it's going to take effort. Real effort. Notice Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 22 in the Message Bible. We've read portions of this off and on throughout the series. But now we're going to read it all the way through, including the portions that we haven't read yet, all the way through verse 22. Jesus says, stay alert. This is hazardous work I'm assigning you. You're going to be like sheep running through a wolf pack. So don't call attention to yourselves. Be as cunning as as a snake, inoffensive as a dove. Don't be naive. Some people will impugn your motives. Others will smear your reputation just because you believe in me. Don't be upset when they haul you before the civil authorities Without knowing it, they've done you and me a favor, given you a platform 
for preaching the kingdom news. And don't worry about what you'll say or how you'll say it. The right words will be there. The spirit of your father will supply the word. So right there, it already tells you God's not going anywhere. Verse 21. When people realize it is the living God you are representing, you are presenting and not some idol that makes them feel good. They are going to turn on you, even people in your own family. There is a great irony here, proclaiming so much love, experiencing so much hate. But don't quit. Don't cave in. It is all well worth it in the end. Family, to exist in this world as contenders who make a real impact, a real God impact, requires effort. It requires unceasing effort on our part. Jesus says it best. In regards to contending for the faith, in regards to fighting hard, Jesus says, do not quit. Do not quit on the faith. Do not quit on your assignment. Do not quit on God, because if you quit. If you quit. You quit on your loved ones. And you quit on the world around you. Jesus says, do not cave in on the faith. Do not cave in on God. Do not cave in on the assignment. Because if you do, if you cave in, you're going to cave in on your loved ones and on the world around you. I know this message is not the most feel good message. It doesn't cause you to skip and jump and shout and sing hallelujah. It doesn't put you on cloud nine. I know this. I told you up front, though, that this message, it's necessary. What my prayer is, is that since I have been obedient to God, hey, Father, thy will be done. I have presented what the problem is. Now it's time for each one of us to do our part. Doing our part means that we need to get with God and address within ourselves whatever part of the problem exists within us. And allow God to help work that problem out of our belief system. I love you so much, family. From here, we move on to the next series. Until next time, God bless you. Be safe. Let's pray. God, I thank you that each and every person who has heard this message or who will hear this message in the future, that they will search within themselves whether or not they are living with any of this 
multifold problem. We are not asking or really caring how it got into their belief system. But we're asking them to draw nearer to you. To focus on those intimate times with you. And relieve themselves of the problem by opening themselves up to you and allowing you to change them from the inside out. We know that you're not asking us to ignore the issues of our life. But you getting us out of those issues is not really what the gospel is all about. We know that you can. But created in us, Father, a heart that realizes that although you can, if things do not happen to our liking, and I will say it this boldly, although you can, if you do not, that that doesn't drive us away from you. If anything, I pray it draws us nearer. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.